0: Hey there, everyone. Jim here with Fantasy for the Ages, the father and son show where my son Zach and I get together quite often to talk about fantasy, science fiction, and other nerdy things we enjoy. Thank you for joining me today for one of our Just Jim episodes. Zach is off doing other things, and I'm working to create content to catch up. Because I was on vacation the last two weeks, this is my second of three episodes I'm recording today to make sure we have enough in the queue to keep our episodes coming out right on schedule. Nonetheless, I have a great episode here for you, something I'm actually pretty passionate about, something I really enjoy, horror movies. I feel that falls within the fantasy genre It also can blend into lots of other things, and we'll talk about that as I work through horror movies to love today. But before I do that, let me just remind you that if you like this episode, like it down below, and if you haven't yet subscribed to our episode, if this is the first time you found us, then be sure to go ahead and subscribe. And I just realized my screen is crooked. That's better. (laughs) Uh, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Look at all the things we have on here. We've got a lot of stuff for Wheel of Time fans, especially if you're a first-time reader working through the series. We're on book five now, chapter by chapter. But then all these other kinds of things on fantasy books and series, science fiction material. We talk about books. We talk about movies and television. And then just some weird stuff like playing Dungeons & Dragons. You can find all of it in various places on our YouTube channel, and the long-form content also in our audio podcast feed. Whenever we get together, whether it's just me, Zach and I, or when we have guests, we drink. That's just part of what makes our show fun that we imbibe as we talk. So what am I drinking today? Uh, I am consuming a simple white table wine, Farmhands White, 2021 from Pomeroy Cellars in south-central Washington. Southwest Washington? I don't know. It's about half an hour north of Portland, Oregon. And it's one of my favorites that they make. I'm drinking a bottle that came from a case that we picked up not too long ago. Our show tends to be better if you are listening or watching while you're drinking, too. Well, that's what they tell me. But feel free to do whatever you like. Thanks for being here today. Let's talk about why we're here, because i got a lot to cover. I've been a fan of horror movies since early childhood. I mean, the technical definition of that is preschool, and okay, not quite that far back. But going back to, you know, being 8, 9, 10 years old, and being able to watch old black and white classics on uh, the local UHF television channel when I was growing up in Chicago. If you have no idea what I mean about local UHF channel, uh, you're a lot younger than I am, that means. But some of you know what I'm talking about. In Chicago, there was Channel 32 that I could watch. And every Saturday, there was a show called Son of Svangooli. And it would feature a different classic, old, usually black and white horror movie. And it ran from, I looked this up, it ran from 1978 to 1984. But the window I was watching was 1979 to 1982. So a very specific window of time in my childhood from when I was allowed to start watching these horror movies to then when we moved out of Chicago and there was no way to connect with such a channel anymore. But during that specific window there, I'm in my parents' bedroom because I'm the only one who wants to watch these horror movies. And I'm able to watch some of the great classics. Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Mummy. And then others from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and even 60s. Sitting in a dark room late on a Saturday evening all by myself. What a great way to freak out a nine-year-old. Okay, it was it was good fun, though. I enjoyed this, and it really cultivated my love for horror movies and never went away. Now, I mentioned we moved away from Chicago when I was the age of 12 to rural northwest Wisconsin, and there we got one channel, dependably, over the antenna. There was no such thing as cable or satellite. So the NBC affiliate, which was about 80 miles away, usually came in, and occasionally we'd get a fuzzy CBS or ABC option. Watching horror movies on my own was over, and my parents would not let me go to the movies to see those R-rated flicks that my high school friends were now going and seeing in the 80s and enjoying. (sighs) little point of tension in my household. But then I left for college. And I made up for it big time. And I was watching as much as I could through the 20s, through my 20s and my 30s. Even, you know, then the day of VHS rentals and DVD rentals came along. And nearly every weekend, I'm picking up some horror movies and watching them. My wife came to just accept this habit of mine that she had no interest in. And late at night, she's in bed. I'm sitting there watching a horror movie. And once Netflix and streaming video became a thing, well, then anything and everything was available. Hey, Jason, good to see you with us. Got our patron joining us for this episode. Uh, he overlaps with me. He was living in Chicago for a period of that time, and he remembers watching some of those as well. Son of Sangumi man. It was good stuff. Now, ironically, I have a subscription to Amazon Prime's Shudder horror channel. And I rarely watch it anymore. I'm just too busy creating content and reading good science fiction and fantasy books. So my horror watching has taken a hit, but I have a big library to lean on now as I create this episode for you. So I thought I'd take a moment to note what I think of as some of the best of the horror movies that I've personally enjoyed over the years, and perhaps give some of you who might share an interest in some of this kind of content. Uh, Things that you could go check out. Some of them you'll go, yeah, I've seen that. That, Yeah, that was great. Or, wow, really, Jim? That that sucked. That's okay. We're going to take a stroll through the decades and take a look at some of these great horror films. I'm only going to speak of ones that I've personally viewed, so that does limit how long this episode will get. And trust me, also, I'm not going to share everything I've watched, because honestly... Some of it was downright trash. (laughs) There are some horror movies I've watched. It would be embarrassing to admit. But it was there, and, you know, I gave it a fly. So let's go back to the beginning and talk about some of these best horror movies. And, of course, that means we've got to start with some classics. The earliest horror movie I've watched is the 1922 black-and-white silent picture Nosferatu, a silent German horror film which introduces us to uh, the vampire the vampire it's sort of hard to get through nowadays but you can still find it you can watch it for free on youtube if you search diligently enough there's some various versions out there some are very poor quality some are a little better none of them are great quality but i would recommend it for any true horror film fan uh, build up your horror street cred by seeing this classic from 1922. It definitely sets the stage for how suspense and chilling effects would be brought to the screen for many of the movies over the following next couple of decades. Now, continuing with classics. I bought the Universal Studios Monster Collection in VHS and repurchased it in DVD. And of course, now I can stream it all anyways, so why did I spend the money? But we couldn't always stream things, people. We couldn't. We're talking about the greats from Universal Studios of the 30s and the 40s, and they really still just have some kind of charm, old school charm. One of the things that continues to hold up from these classic black and white horror films is the ability to set the scare without showing the gore or even much of the violence at all. Use of sound of something happening off screen or even just seeing the shadow against a wall of action, the attack, uh, things that are happening, was a common technique in these films. And it gave you enough to really appreciate what was happening. And then the use of musical score, the setting, the way they paint the scene, and the suspense, again, of what you can't see is masterfully done in these movies. Some of my favorites from the Universal Studios collection include well, the grandfather of them all, Dracula. I bid you welcome. 1931, that Bela Lugosi classic. Also in 1931, Frankenstein, the original. And, of course, this is one that got the whole thing messed up on the name of the monster, because everybody knows Frankenstein, right? You know, uh, big flathead, things spoken out on his neck. No, No, that is not Frankenstein. Frankenstein is the name of the scientist that creates him. That's just the monster. And it's based on a book where his name is actually Adam, but they very loosely borrow from the source material when they created the movie. I'll give you a note, though. From 1931, that classic Frankenstein was too scary for audiences. People who went and watched the movie were, were passing out were screaming in fright and leaving the theater. And in particular, one scene was so scary, they had to edit the film. They couldn't let that scene continue. And what that is, there's a scene in Frankenstein, spoilers, people, seriously, okay. Uh, There's a scene where Frankenstein comes, the monster, comes upon a little girl alongside a river who's got a flower and she's picking flowers, petals off and throwing them in the water. And, you know, it's pretty. These pretty things are throwing in the water. And the monster thinks this is cool, too. And then uh, when they run out of petals, the monster's like, okay, pretty things get thrown in the water. So he throws the girl in the water. And uh, her body's found later. <laughs> but that that's all it was. He just logically can't think very well, and wow. Okay, that was too scary for people. A monster throwing a girl in a river. We've Come a long ways, people. Continuing on, The Mummy, 1932. Now, interestingly, this stars Boris Karloff, who also appears as the monster in the Frankenstein movie. But in a very different role, The Mummy is a classic. Oh, the the, the creepiness that it creates is, is awesome. If you actually haven't seen any of these, you really should go back and watch them. Then we've got The Invisible Man, 1933. The Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, which honestly may be better than the original 1931 version, with Boris Karloff returning again to play the monster. Son of Frankenstein, 1939. The Wolfman, 1941, which is how we get introduced to the werewolf on the screen. And everybody knows what the Wolfman looks like now. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. brings that one to life. Such a, a character who's, you know, the Wolfman's got to die, man. He's killing people, but it's a tragic character. Son of Dracula, 1943, which actually has Lon Chaney, the Wolfman, now playing Dracula. So that's not a Bella Lugosi one. And this is a shout out to those three stars of these classic Universal Studio movies. Uh, Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and Lon Chaney Jr. They played different versions of the monsters over many films. And they did do other things for acting as well. But they were great. I enjoy every time I see these guys on the screen. Then we get to House of Frankenstein, 1944, where you actually have the Wolfman and the monster, the Frankenstein monster, all in the same film. It's like team-ups were already happening in the 40s, people then horror movies do not always have to be scary. Everything I've listed so far is a scary movie. It's dramatic, it's mystery, and it's horror. But then we've got, in 1948, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I loved this film. It is a comedy to its core. But it's got Dracula, the Frankenstein monster, and the Wolfman. And even one extra thrown in, which I won't tell you if you haven't seen this movie, because this one, you gotta go watch. I'm telling you, this is an entertaining flick. And the last one from the Universal Movie Studios collection uh, that I really put at the top is Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is 1954. Kind of on the tail end, but here's something totally different. A monster that lives under the water and comes out and is not quite the monster you think. Now, I mentioned Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and Lon Chaney Jr., but I would be remiss if I'm talking about horror movies if I did not go and give a shout-out to Lon Chaney Jr.'s dad, the original Lon Chaney, known as the Man of a Thousand Faces. He was a star in the silent films of the 1920s doing horror and Man of a Thousand Faces because he appeared as these different creatures and he he just contorted his face with a little bit of makeup and ways he would literally stretch and change the way he'd use his facial muscles to be unbelievably different. This is before there's all these prosthetics and you know gels and masks. He's just doing this with very little and he's doing it all himself. So he creates the uh, Quasimodo, the Hunchback, for the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And then he's the Phantom in the silent picture Phantom of the Opera. And they both look totally different. Amazing what he was able to pull off. And then again, his son goes on to continue into horror movies. While I have great love for the horror movies from Universal Studios through the 30s, 40s, and 50s, there were other studios putting out noteworthy flicks as well ones that i've seen from that period that i also think are worthy entries into the horror movies we can love are uh, king kong from 1933 nowadays people don't necessarily think of that as a horror movie it's just a you know hey it's a, it's a big ape it's a monster movie but there were some real elements of horror For the people in the 30s seeing this movie. I mean, not just this gigantic monster ape, but the way it's uh, causing uh, people to have real concerns about the way we're damaging the environment or way capitalism is taking over. And, you know, some fears of people of the 30s, horrors that play into the movie. And that's something that will continue through horror movies, through the decades, of tapping into the concerns and themes of modern culture of that time. 1941, we've got Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There have been many versions of this movie that have come out now, but this was the original. Well, no, there was a black and white silent picture version of it, but this was the, the one that was the mainstay with top actors of their day, that really everybody now thinks of as the original Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, This was also because the studio that put out that movie owned the rights to the previous version and kind of squashed it. So they made the older one kind of go away. (laughs) And you only know of this one. 1956, we had Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Great black and white picture. Really recommend you check that one out. It'll freak you out a little bit. Then we've got I Was a Teenage Werewolf, 1957. This is a quirky little horror movie, but it is truly horror. And it features a young Michael Landon. Now, if you're young enough, you know that name. Old enough, like me, I'm saying. You know that name, Michael Landon, from a number of TV shows that he did, as well as some pictures, some westerns. But Michael Landon, maybe his biggest hit was as the father on Little House on the Prairie, Little House on the Prairie, that ran back in the uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, A long run of television, uh, very wholesome. And to know that he was a teenage werewolf... A very different kind of picture for this actor. There have often been people who go on to be big stars, greatly acclaimed, who got their start in horror movies. So Michael Landon is is an example. But the next flick I'm going to recommend from 1958 is another great example, House of Dracula, which is a hammer horror film picture. I'll talk about that more in a moment but stars Christopher Lee as Dracula, Count Dracula, and Peter Cushing as Dr. Van Helsing. It's a version of the traditional Dracula, just like it had been back in 1931, and drawing on the source material, the book, Dracula, Uh, but... Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing are working for this British company, Hammer Horror, and they went on to make lots of horror films throughout the 60s, the 70s, and and beyond. You can look up their website and see their collection. Christopher Lee's Dracula is is classic, and, and the interplay between him and Peter Cushing is great. And They both did a number of other films for Hammer Horror Films, but nowadays, you know, Christopher Lee, Who is he? Oh, well, he's Saruman from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Or he was in the Star Wars movies as Count Dooku. I mean, modern people know who this is, but originally he was Dracula. And Peter Cushing, there's a crossover there for Star Wars because he was that first admiral on the Death Star who blows up Alderaan. Kind of always loved that crossover. Ah, nice, yes. Yes. Hammer Horror and those movies reminds Jason on our our Patreon of SplatterCon. That's a call out to a a fantasy series, urban fantasy. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to tell you. Look it up if you really want to know. Let's see. I've got uh, three, no, two more from the 50s that I want to give a little shout to. Some movies that really were good in their time and made an impact that lasted. One is The Blob. In 1958. It was remade then in 1988 with better effects, but in some ways the original is a little more chilling. And A Bucket of Blood in 1959. This is a Roger Corman production. And Roger Corman directed a bunch of movies starting in 1955 all the way through 1990. And not all of them, but many of them are in the horror genre and leans a little more into the psychological side of horror. But there are effects involved, and the, a bucket of blood has been remade since, but the original is just a little disturbing. I'll, I'll give you the teeniest tease about it. A guy who accidentally kills a cat, covering it up in, in like plaster of Paris, people find the cat and think it's a sculpture. And it's so realistic that he gets famous. He's an artist. He's not an artist. He just killed a cat. How do you follow up then if how you create art is covering up a living thing in plaster? You might be able to figure out where this is going. All right. So that's some movies in the 50s. 30s, 40s, 50s, that I really like in horror, classic horror, that anyone who wants to be a horror fan ought to be familiar with. But I have left out a significant player in this, and that would be an actor that I really enjoyed, Vincent Price. I enjoyed him for his creepy and often psychological horror roles over the decades, which really took off in the 50s. He did other kinds of movies as well, but he's best known, I think, for his horror flicks. I love me some Vincent Price. Some of his greatest hits, if you want to go check out who this guy was, and by the way, in real life, he was the nicest guy. You can find biographies and articles on him. Just the sweetest guy, but so creepy on the screen. Check him out. 1958's The Fly. 1959, The House on Haunted Hill. 1960, House of Usher. 1961, The Pit and the Pendulum. Those are some of his best films. He also, now I already was interested in him and enjoyed some of these early films, in Black and White, and then Michael Jackson's Thriller album comes out in 1983, including the song Thriller and the video, and there's a talk over narration that's an integral part of that song, and it's vincent price it's his voice so if you've heard thriller but you haven't heard of vincent price the guy who's talking there with such a creepy voice that's vincent price darkness falls across the land the midnight hour is close at hand creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood and whosoever shall be found Without the soul for getting down. Must stand and face the hounds of hell. And rot inside a corpse's shell. You might want to check it out. There's one other way you might know this gentleman. His last movie is not horror. Eh, horror adjacent, a little bit of what it ties to. Edward Scissorhands, 1990, an early Johnny Depp flick. Uh, Vincent Price is the one who creates Edward Scissorhands, and he dies early in the movie. Uh, if you hadn't seen the movie, that's a very minor spoiler. But uh, I, check out Edward Scissorhands. It's an interesting flick. It's it's humorous. It's also some drama, uh, a little tragedy, a little... Uh, Vincent Price. There you go. While the 1920s, 1930s, and 1940s established horror as a movie genre, really put it in its place, uh, the late 40s and early 50s started to get stale. You know, horror movies had success, people flocking to the theater to get scared. And then it started to get pretty predictable. Formulaic. uh, Became a bit of a known monster movie rehash. We started to get to where there was not much that was fresh. Now, there were still some gems here and there. But as they moved into the 60s and the 70s, directors and writers figured out they needed to do something different. They got to freshen this up to continue to engage audiences. And so they started experimenting. They started pushing the envelope with the audiences. How much can they take? as well as with movie censors, as in how much would they allow. There was a, you know, developed in the film industry, a group that would censor films, would pre-watch these things and determine just how much is appropriate for an audience. Now, this was before we had ratings on films. This is just a film that's out there anybody can go to these sensors do eventually lead to the ratings where we got G and PG and R and X. I'm not talking about any X-rated films here. Uh, eventually, PG and R got too blurry, and they came up with PG-13. Uh, and these are ratings we're still familiar with today. But before the ratings were there, you had horror directors trying to create stuff that could really scare people without going so far that they wouldn't be allowed to show their movies in theaters. And that was really the only option they had at this point. We also, though, had different places you could show movies. So you might have a version of a movie that could show in the United States but wasn't allowed in Europe or in Asia. Or vice versa sometimes. With censors and just picking up on different things, it would be accepted. Throughout this period of time, here are some of the movies I particularly think have value and are still worth watching today. I don't know, put these on your list if you haven't seen them. 1960 Psycho, an absolute classic, Alfred Hitchcock flick, totally terrified people. And and really it's a, it's a tale of two different movies. You've got the first half which is just a, a mystery suspense There's no horror in the first half and then the movie flips the switch. And wow. Hitchcock was a master of suspense and he went on to do many movies that had people on the edge of their seats, had people terrified, and he never had to show much at all on the screen of what was really happening. Uh, Some people, as Jason puts in Discord, would consider Psycho the first slasher film. Uh, It shows, kind of, an on-screen death. It was very tastefully done, you know. And now we have this meme of, ee, 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 you know, that comes from Psycho and from the shower scene. And there are things being shown on that screen that had never been shown before. But they did it in a way that they could get past the censors. But you know, one of the toughest things to get past the censors past was the toilet. They show a flushing toilet, and they had not shown a flushing toilet on a movie screen before. <gasps> It's just silly sometimes what the sensors will get caught up with, but they got the toilet through. So okay, next, uh, nineteen sixty-eight, Night of the Living Dead, George A. Romero's classic. Hello, people, bringing zombies to the mainstream. Now the term zombie is never used in that movie. The dead are walking. Okay, they are rising. And Romero never really said this is a zombie movie. This was uh, a movie about social themes and very progressive for its time, but it brought us zombies. And it led to so many sequels and spin offs and related zombie movies, which you guys know I'm a huge fan of, unless it's the first time you found our channel. Ah, uh, so much good. And I've watched almost all, no, no, I've watched all of the direct sequels of Night of the Living Dead. But there's there's kind of two parallel series that flow from Night of the Living Dead. Uh, some of them end with Of the Living Dead. Some of them end with Of the Dead. They're different. They're all zombie flicks. Of the Dead are the ones that tie to George A. Romero's original story and premise of The Living Dead are a little quirkier, a little cornier, but it's still good old zombie fun. So check them out. The older they are, probably the better they are. The later they are, the more they go all out with some of the effects that they pull off. But the plots sometimes get a little weaker. But I've enjoyed a lot of those films. Okay, now speaking of a film that I couldn't enjoy as much... The Exorcist, 1973. Now this is a classic from the uh, world of horror, and here's the problem for me: it was too scary. I won't say that very often, but I I'm watching The Exorcist, and it's feeling too real. And this is why it terrified audiences, because we're moving to a time, Psycho does this as well, we're moving to a time where we're putting stuff out here in horror that could happen, potentially. Now, The Exorcist ties more into the supernatural and matters of faith. And I'm a Christian, I'm a person of faith. So at the time I tried to watch The Exorcist, I'm I'm thinking, hmm, you know, uh, could these things be possible? They might be real. And it it was just too much. I I, Really well done movie. I never made it through it all. I've studied about The Exorcist, but this is the only movie I'm putting out here that I haven't watched all of. It's a classic. I really need to go back and watch it again anyways. I think I've grown as a person a little more and I could stomach it now. But uh, wow, it was a game changer for horror movies. It also uh, got uh, Academy Awards. Uh, I know it got nominated. I don't remember if it won. I think it did pick up some wins, too. Right after The Exorcist, 1974, Black Christmas. Now, some people will call Psycho the first slasher. Others will say Black Christmas is the first traditional slasher. Uh, College co-eds. Uh, hanging out over Christmas break at their sorority house and bad things happening. Now, that if you're a horror fan aficionado, you're ha- having all these images of sorority house slaughters. No, it's not that. This is more a suspense thriller, but there are murders that happen in here. It's very tastefully done, very scary. It's been redone, but the original is the classic. 1974 was a bumper year. Because we also got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. In fact, it came out the same day as Black Christmas. And it freaked people out because right at the beginning it says, based on actual events. Okay, so we're taking stuff from real life, we're making it into a horror movie. Now, it wasn't really taking something that actually happened and putting it on the screen It was drawing from a couple of really nasty real-life experiences. Uh, The serial killer, Ed Gein. uh, A couple of things are meshed together, and then they create this story, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's no real-life guy with a chainsaw swinging it around. No, that's not real life. But it was terrifying. Uh, And because it's drawing from things of real life, to to inspire it. It also is demonstrating how horror movies were growing up and becoming more terrifying because they're getting closer and closer to things that potentially could happen. We have a disturbed world. We have some dark people in this place, and bad things happen to good people. Makes it that much scarier to watch. Now, we've got... uh, Jason, keep dropping the things in Discord, and Anyone, you know, if you want to be a Patreon supporter, you can be with us during these live recordings. I'm not going to verbalize everything he's putting in there, but he's got a lot of this background in horror, too. I can see it in the things he's dropping. And much of what you keep commenting in there, Jason, is going to be flowing through what I'm going to share here now. But I want to comment that some of the horror movies that are coming out in the 70s, the 80s, and onward, not everybody thinks of as horror movies. I mean, how do you define horror? I put horror as things that are horrifying and scare you. But these can be also classified sometimes as drama, as science fiction, as uh, mystery and suspense. But if it has enough elements to horrify the audience, we can put it in a horror movie that you love episode. This next one fits the bill. Jaws, 1975. An early Steven Spielberg movie that... Horrified people so much, the actual number of people going out and swimming at beaches declined. <laughs> because they're all afraid they're going to get attacked by a shark now. Uh, it's based on a great Peter Benchley novel, Jaws. The novel is great. I had actually read the novel before I saw the movie. Ironically, the movie came out in 1975. I read the novel 1976. Okay, for the record... I was a first grader. My mom let me read the book. I was an advanced reader. Loved the book. I wasn't sure what I was reading entirely because some of it was over my head and I just kind of pushed on through those parts. Years later, I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, and then I was scared to go in the water. (laughs) But Jaws has some real horror in it. 1975 also brought a movie that has horror right in the name. And has elements of classic cult horror involved, but it's not really a horror movie. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Still, it's got some things to love. I have never gone and seen this in the theater. That's a whole experience, and I'd love to hear from any of you who have actually done it. But I've watched the movie, of course. It's campy, it's corny, uh, it's horribly inappropriate at times and that's why it's fun so the rocky horror picture show 1975 1976 scares the socks off everyone again with the omen and after that nobody could name their child damien not true i've known some damiens and i was a teacher for many years thankfully they did not all act like damien in the omen The Omen is one, and and Jaws is like this too, actually Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well, where we start to have movies that are so successful they spawn sequels. Since I'm talking about it, I gotta go back to Psycho as well. Uh, These have sequels, and rarely in the horror genre does a sequel rise to the level of the original. It gets created because the original was so good and so commercially successful that the picture studio says, we want more, we want more. I have not seen any of the sequels to The Omen, only the first one. I have seen all the sequels to Psycho, and I can confirm. Psycho 2 is not bad. The rest of them, not worth your time. But the original is the best. I've seen all the psychos to Jaws. Uh, Jaws 2 is not too bad. The rest, don't bother with. I mean, Jaws 3D, oh my goodness. <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I have watched some, I think I've watched all the sequels. They get different levels of disturbing, but the original is the one that's a classic and the only one I'm recommending on the list. 1976 also gave us our first Stephen King adaptation. Now, the master of horror in what he writes and puts out there in literature. His book, Carrie was adapted to the screen in 1976. An amazing film. Troubling film. So was the book. It's a pretty good adaptation and definitely belongs on a list that you should see of classic horror movies. 1977 gives us an Italian film I'm bringing into the list, Suspiria. It, is, it was also um, released in America, dubbed... So the words that you hear don't match the lips that move. It is a freaky movie, though. And if you are, you know, really want great cred as a horror aficionado, you ought to watch Suspiria, not the remake, but the original 1977 classic. The star of the picture is an American who's gone to Europe to study ballet. And that ballet school is not all she thinks it is. The movie's a bit of a psychedelic light trip. It's very late 70s European cinema, Italian cinema. But it has some serious moments, huge suspense and tension, and a couple of really graphic kills. Uh, So Suspiria is one that, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, but it's a heck of a horror movie. 1978 gives us a horror movie that is not quite a heck of a horror movie, but different, Piranha. Okay, where some Piranha get released in North America, at a camp, a summer camp, basically, and wreak havoc, and there's a lot of gore in Piranha, a lot of blood in the water. It spawned a number of sequels that are cornier and campier, uh... Well, I think the last one was called Piranha 3 Double D. I mean, you kind of get the picture. You <laughs> know, where they're going with these. Anytime you've got girls in bikinis getting chewed up by fish, I guess, you know, we can have some fun with that. But the original was something novel. We hadn't quite seen that before, so it's worthy to go on the list. There's a different movie that came out in 1978, though, that I just bow down before. One of the all-time classics of modern horror. Jason had already mentioned it in Discord. Halloween, the original Halloween movie, 1978, gives us uh, the creature, the masked creature, Michael Myers, okay, who has no expression, no feeling, and is seemingly seemingly unstoppable, unkillable, ultimate evil. Very scary movie and also completely launched the career of jamie lee curtis who went on to do and is still doing films for you know decades of acting but early on thanks to halloween and films like prom night she became known as the original scream queen Uh, halloween itself went on to spawn one of our first ultimate franchises of horror movies Lots and lots and lots of sequels. They're all worthy to watch. Certainly some better than others. One exception, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. That's a terrible movie. It just really is. You could skip that one, and it has nothing to do, no connection with the rest of the horror Halloween franchise. Now, that said, the Halloween franchise has original movies and then some other movies in the middle. And then it kind of does a complete reboot, reinvention. And then it goes back and has the three most recent movies that are kind of ignoring everything after the original Halloween. So basically, uh, what's the word? Retconning the series. You know, it's an intellectual property they own, they can do whatever they want with. I've valued them. The most recent Halloween movie uh, just came out in 2022. It's called Halloween Ends. And it's decent. Not the greatest of them, but it's decent. Now, is it accurate? We'll see. Will it finally be the last Halloween movie? Who knows? I've got... Four more movies on this list from 1979. All worthy to watch for different reasons. First, Phantasm. This gives us another one of the creepy, uh, suspenseful horror villains called The Tall Man. Phantasm has had five films, the latest in 2016. The Tall Man is in all of them. And... Uh, it's it's different, a different kind of movie. Definitely some supernatural elements. Creepy guy, the tall man. Uh, they have the same actor coming back for all of them. Uh, well done. Different. Check it out. Not as many people have seen Phantasm, so I recommend it. Salem's Lot, 1979. That's another Stephen King movie. One of my favorite of his early novels, uh, vampire-based. And Salem's Lot was adapted to film Pretty decently. So worth a watch. The Amityville Horror in 1979. This is the first one that really leans into ghosts. The idea of of ghosts being able to, you know, spirits, demonic possession of a house, a haunted place. So the Amityville Horror is another one of these where they say based on a true story. And you can, well, you could, I don't know if you still can, but you could go find the house in Amityville, New York, that the movie was based on. I've seen the house. I might have seen something in the window. I was in college. Hard to say. But that makes it freakier when it's like, oh, is this, did this really happen? How much of this is real? Ooh. The last 1979 flick I'm going to introduce is one where, again, not everybody would say this is horror, but they're wrong. Alien. Okay. Alien, a science fiction classic, is also horror. And that came out, the original Ridley Scott flick, Scorny Weaver, starring um, 1979. It spawned, as well, a franchise. None of the later films are as good as the original There are four core films in the Alien series, plus two team-ups with the Predator series, and then the Prometheus duopoly, duology, however you call it, with two movies. And those are directly connected to the original Alien film. So they're all tied together. They're all science fiction. Some have more or less lean into horror, but the original... Oh man, horrifying, and the use of darkness, and not being able to know what's going on, and hearing things, and then stuff happening just off screen, and you're hearing the screaming, and you're seeing shadows. All the great stuff from the original classics are brought up and magnified now in Alien. Fantastic film. All right, this brings us to the 1980s. And there are many worthy entries for both psychological and slasher horror films in this decade. This is the decade where the slasher really took off following the critical success of Halloween. It's also where VHS technology introduced us to -to direct-to-video releases of movies. And we start to get a whole new class of films. Things that don't have to conform to the requirements of what the censors will allow in theaters. This allows for new levels of gore, also new levels of flesh. I mean, some horror films of this period seem to show more skin than clothing. They're not pornography, but by the barest of definitions sometimes. And in a lot of horror movies, people are having sex. Okay, that, that just happens. But here's the difference. Pornography focuses on you get to see them doing it. You get to know they're doing it and see them doing it under the sheets in horror movies or maybe only see the butt cheeks. Okay, you know, less is focused on there. It's about the horror, which makes it a horror movie. But oh my goodness, that seemed to be what the fans wanted at the time. Or at least that's what the studios seemed to think. So what do we got? What are some of the the classics that if you want to understand this decade, you would want to watch that I've seen? Well, 1980 gives us Friday the 13th. There are now 12 films in the Friday the 13th series. The first one is very different from the rest of the franchise. It's a true suspenseful horror mystery. It is terrifying in some great classic ways turns more into a slasher series with the second film. I particularly, though, enjoy a number of the films in the series because they're not as terrifying anymore. Now they're just kind of getting corny, and they're leaning into some what was being established as horror tropes. So, for example, I enjoy the eighth movie in the franchise, Jason Takes Manhattan, because Friday the 13th does give us the horror villain monster Jason, and another one of these Michael Meyer types, an unstoppable, incredibly powerful, supernatural type creature, you just don't seem to be able to kill. Even when he does die in some of these movies, he comes back. So, Jason takes Manhattan, we leave... The setting of a lot of these films out in kind of rural areas and small towns or summer camps. And literally, he goes along with a school trip to New York City. And a lot of it happens right there in the Big Apple. Corny as heck. Number nine, Jason goes to hell. There's some death involved here. But you can't keep a good killer down. And then the tenth one, Jason X. Literally, Jason in space. It's a futuristic sci-fi blending of the Friday the 13th franchise. You cannot take this movie seriously. But there's some great horror moments. There's some jump scares. There's some great kills. The special effects are fantastic. And then finally, the 11th, Freddy versus Jason was just so fun. Now this was a movie that it took years to bring into fruition, because it was taking Jason and another classic horror movie killer from this era, Freddy, which I haven't talked about yet, but it's coming. And it puts them in the same movie. So we're going back to where Dracula and the Frankenstein monster and the Wolfman were teaming up. Now we've got Freddy versus Jason. Fantastic. But again, you have to take these movies of the Friday the 13th franchise less and less seriously as you go. Uh, They're less horror and the more pandering to the fans and just entertaining us. There are plenty of other movies in the 80s that were not just entertaining and pandering, though. Some true scary movies and horror. 1980 also gave us The Shining, another Stephen King adaptation, uh, starring the great Jack Nicholson. And wow... This is a scary movie, suspense, and it's, it's about a haunting, it's about ghosts, it's about perhaps possession, and it's psychological trauma. I mean, it's done so well. Really good movie. It's been redone, but the original is still better. Sorry, just is. 1981 gave us The Howling, a more modern werewolf film. Really well done, led to some sequels, but it's the original that'll mess you up. 1981 also gave us The Evil Dead. Now, The Evil Dead is one, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe is one of the first big ones that came straight to video. Did not have originally a theater showing, because the things they put in it would not have made it past the censors. It was actually done Fairly inexpensively, but still had some innovative effects, some fantastic kills, and one that really crossed the line. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. But if you look up Evil Dead Controversy, you'll find out what I'm talking about. uh, Where it kind of went a little too far, perhaps, in how graphic it demonstrates something. Become a cult classic, though. There was an immediate sequel, Evil Dead 2, that had big bucks now, so even better effects, and is a a decent movie as well, uh, really holds up, uh, because the original made so much money. And the franchise continues, the newest of these Evil Dead movies is actually coming out in just about three weeks, April 21st, 2023. Also in 1981, Happy Birthday to Me. This is not a classic. But this is one I saw that I enjoyed, and it has a good mystery to it of what's really going on. You're seeing uh, murders throughout the movie, but you don't know who's doing it. There is a real mystery to be solved. So it's a thinking movie while also giving us some really great kills. Uh, Enjoyed Happy Birthday to Me. I also enjoyed it because one of the leads of the, perhaps the lead of the movie, uh, was one of the children on Little House on the Prairie, which again, I watched when I was growing up, and I'm like, oh, I know her, and whoa, this is very different. But hey, Michael Landon did horror. Why couldn't she? Uh, 1982 gives us another one of these movies that's uh horror, but definitely sci-fi as well. The Thing, or often called John Carpenter's The Thing. Great creature effects in this movie. Uh, just for the special effects they bring to the screen, you ought to see this movie. A lot of stuff done. This is before CGI is a thing. So this these are things they're finding ways to do with puppetry, with animatronics, uh, in ways that were like, wow, really creative and disturbing. And it's based on a short story or novella that's also rather this disturbing in, in ooh, what's going on here. It's a great adaptation. Really recommend The Thing. Be sure to watch that. Yep, Jason, that's one of his favorites. Great, great movie. 1982 also gave us one of the best uh, ghost stories of this era, Poltergeist. There are some real images of little Carol Ann looking at the TV. They're back. You know, uh, Poltergeist, that one will mess you up. That'll give you nightmares. Check out Poltergeist, 1982. One more from 1982 that is typifying some of the the trampy stuff that was coming out here. The Slumber Party Massacre. Cheesy to the core. You want to know what was happening in this era? Pick up the Slumber Party Massacre. The plot is horrible. You don't need to watch the whole movie. But you'll get an idea of what they're just churning out as the 80s move along. Sleepaway Camp came out in 1983. Uh, Another horror movie like Friday the 13th that takes place at a summer camp. But this one has a great mystery behind it. Again, people getting picked off. Eventually, you start to realize you know who's doing the killings, but you don't know why, what's going on. Actually, the original, I don't think you know who's doing the killings, but it led to some sequels where you definitely know, and now you don't care. Uh, But the original has a reveal at the end that is amazing. Uh, Good story. Sleepaway Camp. A Nightmare on Elm Street is another one of the epic franchises of horror in the slasher era. That one came out in 1984. The first was amazing. People didn't want to go to sleep after this movie because, well, you got Freddy Krueger haunting your dreams. So basically, a ghost who can hurt you when you're asleep. Can he get to you in the real world? Uh, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it depends on which sequel we're watching. There are now nine total films in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and they play fast and loose with a lot of the rules that are set out in the first movie. Uh, Wes Craven is the creator and director of Nightmare on Elm Street. He'd done other horror movies and other types of movies before it, but Nightmare on Elm Street is his classic, and he's attached to all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films that are out there. Uh, He has passed away now, so if there's anything else that comes out, he won't be attached to it. But I think we're done with Freddy Krueger. Now, I'll probably be wrong. I will give a shout-out to the 1994 edition in this franchise called Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Which is a really witty movie that's inspired by Nightmare on Elm Street... Uh, definitely pokes some fun at how corny the franchise had gotten um, and has actors who were playing the characters back in the beginning now playing themselves in a movie where some things are starting to happen that are clearly related to the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, but how can it be happening because this is real world? And even Robert Englund, who plays Freddy Krueger, Plays himself in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. He's a great actor. I've enjoyed him in some other things too, but Fred Krueger is his big deal. Um, 1984 also gave us uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Now this is one of the mm, less top-notch movies of the era, but it was a bit scary for uh, the psychological side of what's going on in this film. The kills are also rather spectacular in that one, and I just enjoyed it, okay? I'll admit it. I enjoyed Silent Night, Deadly Night, so you might check that out. It was perhaps the first of the really graphic Christmas-based horror movies, and there have been a ton of Christmas horror movies now. Actually, many of the holidays have horror-based movies. Of course, obviously Halloween. There are... There's like a trilogy of Thanksgiving-based ones. Avoid those. They're horrible. I don't even remember the names, but they're horrible. Avoid the Thanksgiving horror movies. Okay. Uh, there's some New Year's Eve ones too that are very hit or miss. But Silent Night, Deadly Night, it's a solid Christmas horror. 1985 gives us Reanimator. Some cool special effects in there. And the actor, the lead of the Horror element is Jeffrey Combs. And I don't know if you know that name, but he later went on to play numerous Star Trek characters, starting in Deep Space Nine, and then multiple other characters throughout the various series since and ongoing. He's even known for playing more than one character in the same episode of Star Trek. So Jeffrey Combs is a fun guy. Reanimator was kind of his first big break. 1985 also gave us the horror comedy, Fright Night. That's just a great film. If you haven't seen Fright Night, check it out. It's not super scary, but it has its moments. And it's very 1980s. Very good. Uh, 1986 has the remake of The Fly. Now, I mentioned the Vincent Price classic, The Fly. But this is the Jeff Goldblum version, which is better. It's hard to do a remake that's actually better, but this one is better, partly because of the special effects, partly just it's a well-written movie, and Jeff Goldblum, I think it's the first thing I saw him in, to be honest, and I I don't remember when Independence Day came out. I think that was later. I think I liked Jeff Goldblum because I'd seen The Fly, and then I went on to see him in Jurassic Park and Independence Day and, and lots of things since. But he's got a really bang-up performance in The Fly. 1987 gives us another one of those sci-fi, horror, kind of horror, barely horror, Predator. The original Predator movie, it's got an alien from space who's killing people. And it's horrific, and they can't stop the guy. And uh, technology is, is overriding everyone. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. But it also has a number of other well known people from the era. Uh, Jesse Ventura. um, Oh, God, darn it. The guy who played Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies. And I'm blanking on his name right now. Jason, do you know that guy's name? Not the new Creed movies, the original Rocky movies. Mm, He was a big star of the time. Anyways, they're all in this movie. And there's a lot of testosterone in this movie. But there's also some great effects, great kills, and the horror of being hunted down in a Southeast Asian jungle by an unstoppable predator. And then it led to many sequels and eventually the Alien versus Predator flicks, which are entertaining for different sorts of reasons. Thank you, Carl Weathers. There we go. Also 1987, Hellraiser. Now that's another franchise. There's 11 films in the Hellraiser series and they're not for everybody. Okay, These are dark films. They're based on Clive Barker's original Hellraiser novel. And he was directly involved with this film. Not so much with the sequels. Uh, it gives us uh, Pinhead and the Cenobites. Creatures from a, a different dimension who really are into sadism. And really dark pleasures. Uh, very disturbing. But the first movie has definitely uh, psychological and supernatural elements that are intense. And some fantastic special effects. So I don't necessarily recommend any of the others. But the original? It's worth getting you know, some experience with. But uh, have, have a strong stomach when you watch the movie. The effects are pretty extreme in Hellraiser. Also 1987, more of a psychological thriller, is The Stepfather. Uh, It's a horror movie. This does not have big graphic gore or anything like that. Again, it's more suspense, uh, but there's horror element in it. And I liked The Stepfather partly because of the lead actor. One of the lead actors is Terry Quinn, who I really liked how he performed in this. But he had a... Later, much later, major role in the TV series Lost. When I saw him on that, I was like, it's The Stepfather. Most people hadn't seen that movie back in the 80s, but I had. 1988, Child's Play. All right, this was a totally different, corny kind of way to bring in a new spin to a horror slasher. It shouldn't have worked, but it did. And not only did Child's Play work, where you basically have a, a spirit-possessed, yes, there it is, a gif in in the uh, Discord, um, a, a possessed kid's doll that becomes murderous uh, because it's possessed by a criminal, a serial killer, basically. Uh, it shouldn't have worked. It worked brilliantly. And there's a whole franchise now. The rest of them are just the people who, yeah, I'll give me more Child's Play. I'll, I'll go see it. Uh, many of them have now come straight to video. But the original? nah, Classic. Also 1988, we have a movie that I cannot call classic. But it's worth mentioning because it's become a cult classic. And that's Killer Clowns from Outer Space. The title kind of says it all. I mean, really? Killer clowns from outer space. It's worth watching once. (laughs) And you will laugh and you will shake your head. But it is a horror movie. (laughs) It's not going to scare you. But it's going to have you going, what? What is going on here? I was entertained. 1989, the last one I'll mention from the 80s, will disturb you. Pet Cemetery, the original classic adaptation of Stephen King's book Pet Cemetery. That's a hard movie. That is an intense movie. That one hits you and it is scary at moments. Uh, So, Pet Cemetery, that one, if you watch that late at night, in the dark, in your house, apartment, all alone, you will start jumping at sounds. You will start getting twitchy okay this is a scary movie so pet cemetery check that one out that moves us to the 90s 1990s horror movies got more thoughtful again we're moving away from just the slashers now there's still slashers coming out many of them sequels of things that were big in the 80s some original ones still but it's really recognizing audiences want more now Production value of these films takes a big step forward, so we get some real quality produced movies, many of them leaning more into the mystery, the suspense, the intrigue, not just the kills. And there are some truly quality, top-notch horror films scattered throughout the 1990s. One of the first, not everybody will call a horror movie, but I definitely will, 1991's The Silence of the Lambs. This movie was amazing. And I was so excited when it won Best Picture in 1991. A movie I thoroughly enjoyed with scares and suspense won Best Picture. It also won Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And I'm like, yeah, 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 because usually the film's taking these awards. I'm like, oh, I mean, there's exceptions. Return of the King and all the ways it swept things, you know. But most of the time, the movies I really like don't get anywhere in the Oscars. Silence of the Lambs did. And, I mean, some really top-notch performances in that movie. 1992 gave us Candyman, more of an urban horror movie that's definitely horror. There's some mystery involved, but horror and ghost a ghost story involved, uh, as well as urban myths. Uh, Candyman, will, that's a scary movie. That'll mess you up. 1995 gave a seven, which is very loosely a horror movie. It's more a suspense, mystery, and drama, but there is some horror in it. And uh, particularly when you get to the end, you realize how horrific this movie is. So seven, is an interesting one, from 95. 1996, one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Scream. This was Wes Craven, who did all the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, now coming back and saying, okay, all these slasher films, all these horror films have gotten ridiculous, so let's poke fun at ourselves. It gives us... The rules of horror movies. That if you had been watching all those horror movies, you already knew these rules. But now someone's using them in a movie that turns out to be a horror movie still. Uh, So meta. It was fantastic. Uh, A commentary on the slasher genre while being a slasher film that you can't figure out what's going on. Uh, It taught us rules like never say I'll be right back. Helping us realize how ridiculous it is. To split up when you're being pursued by killers. Understanding that, you know, you can't trust anybody. Uh, If you have sex, you die. You know, these were tropes. And they're all on display and made bright and clear in the movie Scream. So, terrific movie. It's given us five sequels. The most recent, Scream 6, came out just here in 2023, a couple of months ago. And it's possibly the best since the original. So, Scream is worthwhile. Check out that movie. Also, 1996 gave us From Dusk Till Dawn, which I love. A Quentin Tarantino flick that's really two different movies. You got the first half. There's no horror in the first half. And then the second half, when well, you realize you're watching a horror movie. High on the entertainment value. There's definitely comedy involved in this movie, but it is not a comedy. Uh, But you will laugh. You will laugh out loud watching from dusk till dawn. Great movie. 1998 gave us Urban Legend. This is uh, basically playing with urban legends that you may have heard of. And now let's use them to make a horror movie. It gave us sequels that do not stand up. But the original was fresh, unique, good horror movie, and some great kills. Also 1998 gave us The Faculty, which is a well-done movie with some top star power And it's a horror movie. It's also sci-fi because, well, I don't want to tell you. In case you haven't seen it, you should watch it. There is a big twist in it that, oh, look at that. And you realize what you're really watching. 1999 gave us three movies I'm going to give quick mentions to. We have The Sixth Sense. Not everyone will see that as a horror movie. And I can't tell you why I'm putting it on the list. Because this is the ultimate movie that if anyone tells you about it, They've ruined the movie, and you will not enjoy it. If you've not heard about what The Sixth Sense is about, you've got to watch this movie. If you already know what it's about, there's barely any point to watch the movie. But I have watched it multiple times. So The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis flick, good movie. 1999 also gave us The Mummy, a modern remake that is really more action, comedy, but there are elements of traditional horror. It's leaning into the old classic, The Mummy, but bringing it back with a lot of charm, a lot of flair, a lot of humor, uh, launching Brendan Fraser's career. It was a really good movie, and the sequel to it also is quite good. They stand up. Uh, Jason is tossing out uh, 1987's Near Dark. Have I seen that? It sounds familiar. It's not on my list. I may have. Go ahead and put down something about it to jog my memory. There are so many great scary movies out here. But there's one more from the 90s I I gotta give a shout out to, and that is The Blair Witch Project. You can't talk about some of the best horror movies to love without naming this one. This was the introduction of the found film footage technique. So it's all done through personal cameras. You know, video cameras. And it's done the whole media behind it was that it was film that was found with no survivors, no people around, but people who'd gone missing. And when you're searching for them, you find this camera and you get the story of what happened to them. And again, the promotion of the story behind it was that this was a true life story. This wasn't a film. Everybody who appears in it is a nobody. These aren't actors that we know were actors. These are first time people showing up. It was a really well-done production and had people really wondering, did this really happen? Is this true? What is going on? What happened to these people? And for months after the movie came out, you couldn't find anything about these people. It was sold really well. A great witch, ghost, possession, mystery story. And then it spawned a whole bunch of other found film footage movies that are really hit or miss as to how good they are in the horror genre. The 2000s, they continue to bring out horror movies that were reinventing the genre, finding great success. But this decade also saw the birth of torture porn. Where really it's like, how badly can we hurt people on screen in graphic special effects and gross people out? I felt torture porn got old really fast. And it's pretty much gone. But some of the best films of this decade do include a couple that would fit in here. So I'll mention uh, Final Destination. This came out in 2000. It's a franchise of five films now, and they all have some value and some great effects in them. Uh, They're all additions on the same theme that's introduced in the first movie, and they actually all do tie together in a pretty cool way. There's a sixth film in Final Destination in pre-production, according to Wikipedia, even though there's been a gap. I think the last film was in 2011. They started working on this film in 2019 and then COVID, and so everything slowed down. But eventually, I think we're going to get another Final Destination movie. Jeepers Creepers came out in 2001. That movie kind of freaked me out. It's worth a watch. 28 Days Later comes out in 2002. A new spin on zombies coming to us from the United Kingdom and was quite good. The Ring 2002 was introduction of Japanese horror into our American film culture. The Ring is a remake of a Japanese movie, but it's made here in America, and whoa, so scary. Basically a ghost story again. This will freak you out. Again, don't watch this in the dark alone. <laughs> uh, another Japanese import that's remade in America is The Grudge in 2004. Another one that will scare the socks off of you. Hard to watch alone. Thankfully, in 2004, we got something Jason dropped in the Discord a while ago that is comedy horror, Shaun of the Dead, one of my favorite zombie movies. It's it's got the horror elements of zombies, but it is straight-up comedy. And so well done, Simon Pegg in the leading role, and I believe directed the film. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, if you like zombies at all, You should watch it. If you like to laugh and you know a little about zombies, watch Shaun of the Dead. Also in 2004, something that will not make you laugh, Saw. Now, this is one of these movies that kicked off the torture porn. But Saw is a psychological mystery and horror flick that does have some amazing special effects and a great twist in the story. It's one of the best movies of the 2000s. Whether or not you watch any of the sequels is up to you. You don't have to. You can just enjoy Saw, and you've seen a classic horror film. Some of the Saws are still good, and I didn't watch them all. Uh, I fell off somewhere along the way. I think there's 10 films in the Saw series now. I know I quit before Saw 3D, which is the seventh film in the series. I understand some of the most recent ones kind of reinvented Saw a little bit and that they might be better again. But there you go, Saw, 2004. The Descent comes out in 2005, which has to do with spelunking, going down into the earth and finding things, scary things, and bad things happen. That's a great horror movie, terrifying You get claustrophobia, you get the the, uh, being scared of the dark, and then there being things in the dark. Great movie. 2007, we got another Stephen King adaptation, The Mist. It's a novella that I'd read previously, really enjoyed it, and now they adapted it to film. The adaptation is not as good as the novella, but it's still pretty darn good. So I recommend The Mist. 30 Days of Night is a fun vampire film that came out in 2007 based in Alaska. You know, there's parts of Alaska where the sun goes down and doesn't come up for days. Like you have nothing but darkness for days. Well, imagine what that might do for vampires. And now you know how you get a movie called 30 Days of Night being a vampire film. Very good movie. Recommend it. 2008 gave us Quarantine. Quarantine. It's an American remake of Wreck, a 2007 Spanish film. And it's almost frame for frame, the same movie as Wreck. And then Wreck 2, another Spanish film, becomes Quarantine 2. Again, almost frame for frame, remake, but with American actors, set in America, not needing to be dubbed with, you know, or subtitles. Uh, But good movies, especially the original. And then 2009, we've got a zombie flick that was very different Zombieland. It's more of a horror comedy. Uh, The part being horror is there are zombies. There are people dying, but it's really more comedy. But since it includes zombies, I'm mentioning it in the list. The 2010s got quite psychologically, religiously, and supernaturally spooky with some many great films. And this is already getting kind of long, so I'm going to just kind of name these and not talk about them too much. But here's movies I loved, and I'd encourage you to check them out. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, 2010. Horror comedy, mostly comedy, good stuff. Cabin in the Woods, 2011. Another fresh look at the horror genre, poking some fun at the tropes with a nice twist. Great movie. Your Next, 2011. That was just scary. Yeah, that's a scary movie. Check it out. World War Z, 2013. That's a a hard, gritty zombie flick based on the book of the same title by Max Brooks. Uh, 2014, The Babadook. That's a scary movie, The Babadook. There are some serious jump scares in that movie. 2015 gives us It Follows, which is, again, very scary. And a new twist on uh, the monster that can't be defeated or stopped. 2015 also gave us The Witch, which is set more in colonial times. There's some spooky psychological stuff, religious supernatural stuff. Definitely enjoyed that movie. You don't laugh in The Witch. Don't Breathe comes out in 2016. Great reverse horror. People break into the home of a blind man, think it'll be easy to take advantage of stealing from him, and wow, they bit off more than they could chew. Turns into a horror movie on them. 2016, hush. Horror movie where most of the movie is silent. And it works. Because the heroine is deaf. And they they play it. Fantastic. Also 2016, the Belko experiment. A little bit sci-fi, mostly horror. Some great special effects in this movie. Check it out. 2017, you got Get Out, which got real great acclaim. The writer and director, uh, Jordan Peele. This is psychological and supernatural terror in this movie. Really well done. 2017, Happy Death Day. It's kind of Bill Murray's Groundhog's Day with a horror spin. Definitely entertaining. Not so much scary, but there are some scares. The Babysitter, 2017. This was a Netflix film, a horror comedy, and a 2020 sequel. Uh, baby, The Babysitter, Killer Queen, is also entertaining. Not super scary, but some of the horror stuff is in it. Mandy in 2018, terrifying movie. Hereditary in 2018, terrifying and troubling movie. A Quiet Place in 2018, is more science fiction, but with some definite elements of horror. And again, a very quiet film. Makes sense with the title. There's a sequel in 2020, A Quiet Place 2, which is just as good as the original. And 2019, Ready or Not, a great horror movie with elements of comedy in it, Uh, some mystery. I, I really enjoyed Ready or Not. It's not super scary but it is definitely a fun romp. And now we're almost done because we're into the 2020s and it's only 2023 right now. Again, I don't catch as many horror movies as I used to because I started doing this Fantasy for the Ages in 2020. But there are still gems out there that I want to catch. Things I know I've heard these are good horror movies. Maybe you've seen some of them. The Black Phone, Barbarian, Nope, Pearl. I think that one hasn't even come out yet. But I have scored some great flicks that I can recommend. 2020's The Invisible Man. Not a remake of the original or earlier versions. This is a totally new re of The Invisible Man. A great suspense horror film. Host in 2020, which is basically death by Zoom. It's a product of the pandemic and brilliantly done. Uh, Netflix in 2021 came out with its Fear Street Trilogy. So three different movies straight to Netflix that all tie together. Definitely horror movies. Good uh, use of different time periods in these movies. Witchcraft and Supernatural and Ghosts are all involved. Check those out. Some great kills. Smile, which came out in 2022, is a disturbing horror movie. Uh, supernatural, psychological. And then Megan in 2022, kind of a sci-fi horror that I actually enjoyed. I saw that not too long ago and would say it's worth a watch. All right, there you go. An hour and a half of some horror movies to love. I would love to see your feedback on this. If there are any of these movies I mentioned that you definitely also saw and loved, let me know. If there's ones that, Jim, how in the world did you not mention this? You know, put it in the comments or hit me up on Discord or social media. Again, I might not have seen them. and You might be pointing me to the direction of movies I need to go back and watch. And definitely if you check out any of these films I've mentioned because I put them here and you liked them, I would love to hear that. But that's where I'll leave you for today. Thank you for joining me. It's been a blast. And we'll talk to you next time.